Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. Well, good evening, Coastal. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. You seem a little bit tired from the long weekend. So Jay is away, he's on vacation, and while the cat's away, the mice will play. So it is my personal gift and goal to you to get you out here a little bit early. How does that sound? You can enjoy the sticky weather just a little bit more. Um, and if I, if I don't hit that mark, if you're out here at the usual time, then next week James will let you out early. So either way, we, <laughs> either way, we will gift you with a short service sometime, some way. So my name is Alex, and I'm one of the pastors here, and just again, thank you for joining us tonight. We are so glad that you are here. Coastal, if this is your home church, we love you, and we're so glad that you're here, but if you just so happen to be here visiting, or if you're here for the first time, we are so thankful that you joined us tonight. So you're jumping in with us on our third week in a series that we're working through on the book of James. So if you missed one or two of the past two weeks of our series, a reminder, we do have a podcast. You can catch up on that, so you don't need to be too far out of the loop. I think I real-time just saw like three people with FOMO take a sigh of relief. You don't need to stay in the dark for long. You can catch that wherever you stream podcasts. Um, but we're just glad that you're here. So let's be honest for a moment. Let's have a heart-to-heart. How are we doing? Give me like a thumbs up, a thumbs sideways, a thumbs down like we do in Coastal Kids. How are you guys doing today? Okay? Okay. Mixed reviews. We have mixed reviews. I'll be honest with you. It has been a crazy week. Is there anybody else that feels like this week has just been weirdly crazy? Yeah, a couple of you. It's just been a weird week. And crazy is one thing. A crazy week is one thing. But I've been more aware now than ever that we live in a really crazy time. It feels like all the time we're saying things like, we live in unprecedented times. This is unprecedented. The things that are happening around us are like never before. It's just a weird time to be alive. I don't know if you're feeling that, but I've been feeling that the past couple weeks. And maybe it has a little bit to do with the access that we have to things. Now more than ever, we have access to so many things at our fingertips. We have access to media and entertainment and music um, and travel and food and options all the time. We have, different me- we have so many different ways to communicate with one another that we don't know what to do. There's so many options. We can't seem to just pick one. We can listen. We can travel. We can read. We can learn. We can eat all the time at the drop of a hat. And sometimes we can even do all those things at once. It's just a crazy time to be alive. Technology is insanely accessible. How many people have a phone in their pocket right now? Or maybe even in your hand? We have technology at our fingertips all the time. And I think for a lot of us, we probably can't remember the last time that we did, we lived an hour um, during our day without looking at a screen or using a screen or glancing at a screen. And that's a pretty crazy thought. To go an hour without feels a little bit like we're out of the loop. And these screens, these screens, I hate to break it to you, they're so much smarter than us. Like they are scary smart. And it's a little bit odd to think that something that's sitting in my pocket or something that I'm looking at knows far more than I do and ever will. It's a little bit of a sobering thought. But we also live in an age of preference. We can have whatever we want, however we want it, at any time. We get to have our favorites. 
all the time. We don't need to deal with things that we don't like. Our music can be our favorite. The politics that we listen to and we choose can be our favorite. Entertainment, we can only have to deal with our favorite. Social media, we only have to look at the things that we enjoy. It's such a weird time to be alive. Just think about it. During your lifetime, during my lifetime even, um, we went from getting news from like two channels, just basic news. We just, we just clicked on, we listened to it, and then we clicked off. But now we like, we have 18 million different ways to hear the news. We can hear it from whatever perspective we want. We can hear it whatever voice we like best. We get to pick our favorite avenue of hearing the news. That's an odd thing to think about, or music. We went from a CD, having to listen to the whole thing. Maybe you could skip if you had like a high-tech player. You could skip through songs that you don't like, but now we don't even have to listen to music on a CD or songs on a CD that we don't like. Isn't that crazy? We get to handpick the songs off of a record and put them into a playlist of our choosing, and we only have to listen to that playlist when we want to listen to it. Isn't that crazy? We get to live in a little world, a little bubble of our preferences all the time. And algorithms, they shape everything that we see online, on Facebook, on Netflix, what we watch, on YouTube. Everything is catered to how we like it and what we want best. But although those, that is really convenient and really likable in our spare time when we're trying to unwind and relax, this access to preferences, this access to what we like and how we want things best is actually damaging us. And it's actually shaping our spiritual formation in an unhealthy way. So today we're going to be jumping into James chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 13, and we're going to be talking about this idea of preferences and favoritism. So you can read on the screen alongside me, you can open up your phone, um, but we're going to read through this together. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. This is what it says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you can sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you can sit over there or sit down on my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, and are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails to do one point becomes guilty of all of it. For he has said, do not commit adultery. He also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. So this passage is a little bit different than the past two weeks. In chapter one, uh, the tone of this section of scripture is a little bit different. 
And for those of you who have been tracking with us through this whole series, do you kind of sense the difference here? Do you sense the switch of tone? Do you even notice the little bit of how the text is written differently? In James chapter 1, it's believed that he's kind of just quickly listing off a bunch of things that he wants to unpack later. So now that we're in chapter 2, James is taking time to really dig into a topic. He's taking time to unpack something with us and for us. So starting here, in chapter 2, his tone is different. It's changed. And he's sitting with this idea of partiality or this idea of favoritism. We're going to call it favoritism tonight. Um, And he really wants to bring us to a journey of comprehending it from beginning to end. So a couple of clarifications before we really jump in. This passage is wildly aggressive. He's getting straight to the point. He's not cutting corners. He doesn't want to leave room for interpretation. He's not making suggestions. He's not saying that not having favorites or not showing favoritism is a good idea. He's actually saying that it's something that we shouldn't and we can't do. This passage also isn't about charity. We can find passages and instructions and guidance on charity other places in the Bible. And this passage also doesn't have anything to do with money. James is drawing a hard line here about favoritism. He's not talking about money. Money and wealth is just the illustration that he's using to share his point. So as we're working through this passage, I don't want you to get distracted by the illustration, the means by which he's trying to communicate the point. It doesn't have anything to do with money. We're actually just talking about favoritism here um, and picking favorites. So this passage is actually just simply talking about how there are people in the church who don't like other people in the church. Does that sound believable? Does that sound real? Yes. It's a real thing. How many of you know that sometimes in life we just don't really enjoy some other people around us? We can be honest. This is just what this is getting at. James is just trying to explain that some people don't like other people in the church, but we got to do something about it and we have to fix it. And this passage is laid out uniquely. I don't think there's many other places in the Bible where passages are laid out like this. It's kind of like a sermon already. James did like half of my work this week. He laid it out for us. So there's a thesis, there's an illustration, there's a gospel perspective, and then there's an application. So James was working double time thousands of years ago, so I only had to work part-time this week, and I'm thankful for James. So when we're reading it today, it really just feels like James is trying to bring us through a cohesive point. He's trying to make sure that we really grasp it. He wants us to grasp how damaging favoritism is to the body of Christ, but also how damaging it can be to our own personal relationship with Jesus. So we're going to start with his thesis, his opening line. My brothers, show no partiality or favoritism as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So what he's saying, simply put, hold on to your seat, is that you can't claim to love Jesus and not love people. You can't claim to love Jesus and not love people. You also can't claim to love Jesus and favor certain people. It can't happen. There's, not, there's no option here. There's no wiggle room. James isn't leaving room for our excuses. He doesn't want it here. Well, you don't understand. Like, I have this really special circumstance. He doesn't have time for that. Or that person really hurt me, and I just don't think if I could ever. Or we just don't get along. James, we just, it, just, it wasn't meant to be. We weren't meant to be friends. He doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear 
our excuses. Because faith and favoritism are, are incompatible. They cannot coexist. Favoritism corrupts our view of God's creation. It corrupts our understanding of what God has created. So James is cutting no corners. He's giving us a, a straight-shooting word. He doesn't want us to misunderstand us, so he, uh, misunderstand him, so he's getting right to the point. If you don't love people, you can't truly love God. That's a painful one. It's okay if you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable this week. It's a convicting word. So the illustration. James uses this illustration of a wealthy man and a poor man walking into a church and the way that they were treated differently based on what they dressed and how they looked. And maybe this, this illustration isn't the best for 2023. It's a different time. And let's be honest, we live in Barrington. I don't think any of us are judging what someone else wore to church tonight. It's not that big of a deal. We don't really tend to care. We're laid back and easygoing people, right? Doesn't matter to us. You can wear whatever you want. As long as you wear something, we're glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, please wear something. So maybe this illustration isn't the best for 2023, and that's okay. There's plenty of other illustra or illustrations that we could use. And today in culture, we're doing this unique thing where culture progressively is becoming more anti-wealth. We're becoming less and less obsessed with having a lot of money, and we're becoming more and more obsessed with people's perceptions of us. Does that make sense? Does that check out, as the youth would say? makes sense. We're less and less obsessed with money and more and more obsessed with how people think of us and what, how they perceive us. It's just a different time. But we all have things that signal or trigger our preferences, things that stand out to us, things that catch our eye. And the truth is, is that we all have things that we care far too much about. In this illustration of the wealthy man and the poor man, James used, James used this illustration um, to show how our preferences can dictate how we perceive, understand someone, or how we even decide how much we value them or how much value they carry. So what is our version of this? What is your version of this? The truth is, everyone has a different version of this. What signals your preferences? What matters too much to you? Is it money, where you live, what you do, your hobbies, who you know, your family of origin, race, wealth, politics? What matters too much to you? We all have something. The thing is, is that this world is designated to give you right back to you. Everything around us wants to give us exactly what we want to hear, exactly what we want to see, exactly what we want to know. Culture loves to curate itself and give the best version of what we want back to the consumer. Culture just wants us to consume. They want us to be comfortable with our own ideals and just keep feeding ourselves the same things. And although the world might curate itself for us, God doesn't curate himself to fit our liking. God doesn't change himself to be digestible to us. God doesn't want to look appealing to us or to just be another version of what we hear every day again, over and over again. God doesn't curate himself around us. And we can start coming against this idea of preferences and letting preferences control our perceptions and our judgment when we get honest with ourselves. 
when we're upfront, when we're vulnerable with ourselves. And we actually begin to be honest and say, who do I prefer? Who do I despise? What do I prefer? What do I value too much? What am I letting dictate, dictate the value of the people around me? But until we're honest, until we're honest with ourselves, with you being honest with yourself and me being honest with myself about who we just don't like or what we just don't like, God isn't able really to come in and do the transforming work that he wants to do in and through us. We have to be honest before things start to change. Because we might not, on our own strength, have the ability to love people that we don't understand. We might not always have the ability on our own strength to love people that are different than us, but God, who is far more gracious and patient and kind and understanding, wants to change our understanding of grace, and he wants to change our understanding of love. There's this verse that says, For God so loved the world that whoever... Does that sound familiar? For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The key word is whoever. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him. God isn't limited by our grace. And our feelings towards certain people and certain things don't change him. They don't change his love. They don't change his grace. And they don't change the way he wants to move in and through the world. But the good thing is, is that when we're honest with ourselves, then we can partner with God. We can be catalysts for grace and patience and love and truth in our own context. But the, the catch is, is that we have to be humble enough with ourselves to understand what's catching us up. What's throwing us off? What are we letting play, um, letting us play, how are we letting ourselves play favorites every day with the people around us? So then James taps into this gospel perspective and he says this, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? There's room for everyone. There's room for everyone in the kingdom of God, and that's the beauty of the kingdom of God. And at the time that this letter was written, the Jewish people, which is who the letter was written to, had taken this reality of being God's chosen people, and they had kind of misconstrued it into this belief that they were the only people invited to the party. They thought the salvation thing was only for them. But our understanding of God even today and our, God, our understanding of who God's chosen people actually needs to be more wider and not so narrow. We've made this idea of God's chosen people or the people that God loves into this really narrow pathway when that's not the reality. The kingdom of God is available to everyone. It's open to everyone. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. In the same way that the Jewish people at the time had become really picky towards the people that um, they thought God was welcoming in. We also have become super picky in North America towards the believers around us. We have become a super nitpicky people. But the reality is, is that the gospel is for all of us. And we need to look at everyone through the lens of the gospel because the gospel evens the playing field. It puts us all on the same line. Because at the end of the day, we're all sinners saved by grace. So then James brings us into this application. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
he quotes that part of scripture, and then he said, you're doing well. So when you do this, you are doing well. James' call is to unity. It's not just for people to get along or to tolerate one another or to feel included enough that things don't, people don't kick up a fuss. The call here is to unity. And that call to unity is a lot trickier than we might think. It's actually a deep work. It requires us being humble. It requires us being honest. It requires us being patient and understanding. So I don't know about you, but when me and my brother were young and we used to have friends over, there was always this like preliminary coaching talk. Our friends would come over and my parents or my dad or my mom would just sit us in a little circle and they'd say, okay guys, so you gotta share and make sure everybody has their turn because it's best when we all take a turn. So we're all gonna get along and we're all gonna be kind and gentle and patient with one another. Does that sound familiar? Do your parents ever do that with you guys? Maybe me and my brother were just heathens. But the, the, the speech here that my parents were giving us was, it was that, but it was under, the underlying message was, we know you don't wanna, but you gotta. Like, for this to work, for you to have friends over, you just gotta get along. You just gotta be patient, and you just gotta share. But this, this message, this you gotta message, isn't what James is saying here. It's not like a, you just gotta do it. It's the right thing to do. This call to being, um, to being gracious and not picking favorites and not showing partiality is actually fruit of a relationship with God. It's actually in line with the heart of God. Because our message, what we believe as Christians, is actually found in our actions. It's this idea of hearing and doing. When we hear things, we have to do it or else there's a huge disconnect in our lives. Things don't line up for the people around us. So in the Bible, it says, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. This is the foundation of our faith according to Jesus. And you can't have one without having the other. The first one is in jeopardy if the second is non-existent. So you can't love God if you can't love your neighbor. This is what James is trying to get out through this whole thing. It's impossible. You can't love God and not love people. They have to coexist. They have to exist together. We don't get to preach the love of God to the people around us. We don't get to be loving and post things about love and grace and truth on Facebook and then gossip. We don't get to post nice things on Facebook or talk kindly to the people at church and then go home and talk bad about our coworkers to our husband or our wife. We don't get to be nice online and then actually say garbage behind someone's back. That just can't be the reality that we live in. Our actions often deny our message as Christians. We become too comfortable with letting our actions and the message that we're trying to, come to, to show to other people not align. And it's confusing. It's confusing to the people that we're trying to reach. When our message doesn't match our behavior, it actually is damaging to the people that we're trying to reach the most. When there's a disconnect in our lives of showing love, the love of Christ to those around, when, sorry, when there's a disconnect in our lives, it's almost impossible to show the love of Christ to other people around us. When our actions and our words don't match, it's almost impossible to make this idea of loving Jesus and being loved by him appealing to the people around us because it doesn't make sense. We just look like a bunch of hypocrites, and that makes people not want to learn more. It makes them not want to engage with what we're saying to them in person or online because it's not believable. 
Our actions often deny our message as the followers of Jesus. We need to fix that. If we don't fix it, and we try to invite them into this love, this loving relationship with Jesus, again, it's impossible. Because we can't invite someone into a loving relationship that they can't see. We can't invite them to participate in something that they've never actually seen lived out. And loving in the kingdom isn't about trying to be loving. We shouldn't have to try to love our neighbor. It should be fruit of our relationship with God. When we've received God's love and grace and it fills us, it should be the very thing that pours out to the next people that we talk to. Because God is filling us, because he's empowering us, those are the things that should pour out of us. We shouldn't have to try to be loving. It should be a part of our nature of people who are walking in step with the Father. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We've got a couple of thoughts for us before we transition. A couple of application points. So this is kind of the heavier one. James wasn't cutting corners. He wasn't trying to be nice or put a bow on anything. He was kind of slapping us in the face with some hard truths and praying that we would journey along with him for the rest of the book, and that's okay. Sometimes we need to hear it. So what should we do in response? How should we react to this, to this truth, to this message? Three things. We need to get ready to be humbled. We need to get ready for God to teach us about love and grace that we'll never learn on our own. We need to get ready to trust the process. And sometimes the process is difficult, and that's okay. But we need to trust that his way is better. We need to be ready to be humbled. We need to be ready to be uncomfortable. And this is my least favorite one. I hate being uncomfortable. I hate having things not planned out or the way that I want them. But we need to be more and more apt to pretend less and to put away our own preferences for what God wants. We need to be more apt to being honest and real and raw with the people around us instead of veiling or telling half-truths or picking what we prefer over what's better for the people around us. We need to be ready to be uncomfortable. And the last one, we need to get ready to readily remind ourselves of God's goodness. God's love will be the very thing that fuels us through the journey the journey of being honest with ourselves and raw, the journey of admitting that we do have preferences, we all do. God's love is gonna be the very thing that fuels us along the journey. And we can love because he first loved us. So this is a tough one. This one was a tough one for me this week. I will say I sat in front of my screen a couple times saying, God, this is just gonna be one of the weeks that I have to preach to myself and take you guys along for the journey, because it's a hard truth. We all have preferences. We all pick favorites, but that's not the heart of the Father. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to transition into a time of worship and reflection, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your word even when it's difficult to understand, even when it's heavier God, we're thankful for the truths that fill the pages. God, we thank you for the hope that is available to us, even in the middle of hard conversations like this. God, we thank you that you are present. We thank you that you don't pick favorites. God, that your kingdom is open to all those um, 
who desire to know you, God, that you welcome us with open arms. God, that you love us too much to leave us the way that you found us. God, that you're patient and gracious to walk with us through seasons of honesty and vulnerability and confession. God, we're so thankful that you are gentle, that you are kind, that you are faithful, and that you're understanding. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would have your way. God, would you even begin to speak now? Would you begin to open our eyes to our own preferences, God? Would you help us have clear steps moving forward to see your will over our own? God, your desires over our own? God, the world is noisy. It's a loud time to be living. Holy Spirit, just give us moments of quiet where we can hear your voice clearly. God, we love you and we trust you even when things are daunting. So it's in your name we pray. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.